On the 30th of January, 1649, Charles I of England exited through a window of the banqueting house, declaring to William Jackson, the Bishop of London, that he would go from a corruptible crown to an incorruptible crown. He then knelt before the executioner's block in one of the most controversial events in English history. The banqueting house still stands, the only remaining part of the palace that was the earliest Renaissance building in Britain and would subsequently give this street its name, synonymous with the corridors of power and authority, the Palace of Whitehall. I'm Danny Hurst, and when I was a child, I didn't know Whitehall from Whitechapel. I didn't grow up in London, and as a northerner, I only knew the places I'd read about or seen on television. Looking back, I suppose I must have seen Whitehall on the news, but didn't really know the name. This episode, I'm skipping over the electric company, as it isn't a property and can't really be owned by anyone, and we find ourselves in the street which links Parliament Square to Trafalgar Square... Whitehall. The Palace of Whitehall burnt down in 1698. Ironic as the building that it replaced as the main royal residence, the original Palace of Westminster, was also destroyed by fire in 1530. However, as we've established, the name and the area itself has remained the centre of the British government and civil service for almost 500 years. When people think of Whitehall, they invariably think of Downing Street, which is just off Whitehall itself. One of the very few places that really is impossible to miss if someone tells you the directions to it due to the high number of armed police, soldiers and other formidable members of the UK's national security, people used to be able to walk along Downing Street and have their photo taken outside the iconic door of number 10. However, during the 1980s, while with the IRA's bombing campaign, Margaret Thatcher's government turned Downing Street into a gated community. Downing Street itself was built in the 17th century on the site of a mansion which itself was built on the site of a brewery. The very first person to live in Downing Street was Thomas Nivett, the man who arrested Guy Fawkes. George Downing himself, the property developer whom the street is named after, was the second person ever to graduate from Harvard University. Despite having Christopher Wren as his chief architect, Downing was out to make a quick profit and the houses were built on the cheap on shallow foundations. These issues have since been rectified and large parts of the street have been upgraded in the years since. It continues to be the seat of the head of government for the foreseeable future. The houses were built in yellow brick, but after two centuries of pollution and restoration work in the 1960s, the brickwork was painted black and remains so to this day. In 1732, King George I bought part of Number 10 Downing Street and gave it to his First Lord of the Treasury, Robert Walpole, for services to Britain. The plaque on the front door still says First Lord of the Treasury, the official title for the Prime Minister. 
The name Prime Minister, in fact, was a derogatory term used to describe Walpole by other government officials in the 18th century. It only became the official name in 1905 under the administration of Henry Campbell Bannerman. Robert Walpole had number 10 built onto a much larger adjoining property at the back, hence, like the TARDIS, it is bigger on the inside. Whitehall is, of course, where the Armistice Day parade takes place and the street is full of memorials and statues, including Montgomery, Haig, Brooke and numerous other military commanders. The Gurkha Memorial and the monuments of the women of World War II stand on Whitehall. After the First World War, a temporary war memorial stood on Whitehall, but due to public demand for a permanent monument, Edwin Lutz, Chins was commissioned to design, to design the Portland Stone Cenotaph, which was unveiled in time for Armistice Day 1920. Back in early modern times, Whitehall was on the very edge of, uh, of urban London and during the Great Plague of 1665, coaches ran from Whitehall out of London for people who were able to escape the city. Nowadays, Whitehall is full of ministries and government buildings, including the Ministry of Defence, while just off the main road is the Treasury. In 1973, an IRA bomb detonated in front of the Ministry of Agriculture, injuring several people. The original Scotland Yard building was in Whitehall, but after a number of attacks by Irish nationalists, the headquarters moved to its current venue on the embankment just near St James Park tube station. The Horse Guards building is one of the most popular attractions along Whitehall, where tourists can be seen cooing over the horses while the guard looks nonchalantly on. The singer James Blunt is a former Horse Guard. Through the arch of the building is Horse Guards Parade, a large parade ground where ceremonies such as Trooping the Colour take place. Trafalgar Studios at the Trafalgar Square end of Whitehall is the former Whitehall Theatre, which was famous for actor-manager Brian Rix's farces of the 1950s and 60s. So, is Whitehall still as cheap as it is in Monopoly? In fact, is it even possible for anyone to actually own property in Whitehall, since it's all government and civil service buildings? Well, apparently you can buy property here, but surprise, surprise, it's going to cost even more than an arm and a leg, as it does for most parts of London. The £140 price for the site in today's Day's money, according to the Bank of England, would, at the time of recording this, cost you £8,174.61. Zoopla say the average sold property in the last year around Whitehall was £1,200,000, which the Bank of England say was, in 1936, £20,551.44 when the London Monopoly came out. According to estate agents Homipi.com, 
Co.uk, the average house price, the average price of a flat in Whitehall is a snip at £1,109,182, which in 1936 would have cost you £18,996.7p, while the average house price of a the average price of a semi would be one million one hundred and fifty seven thousand which in 1936 was nineteen thousand eight hundred and fifteen pounds and a penny considerably more than it cost in 1936 but surprisingly cheaper than i was expecting saying that i don't think i've ever noticed any semi-detached places in whitehall the rents are the same as they are in Pall Mall. £10 for the site alone would now, if you landed on somebody else's uh, Whitehall, would cost you £583.90. With a house at £50, you're looking at paying £2,919.50. What The £150 with Two would now set you back £8,758.51. With three at 450 you're looking at paying £26,275.53. With four at 625 the rent jumps to £36,493.80. And with a hotel, you are going to get a sather, a 90, well, today's equivalent of £750, which is £43,792.56. Next episode, we are going to look at one of London's more obscure, but just as famous as everywhere else because it's on the Monopoly board, uh, Streets Northumberland Avenue. I've been Danny Hurst, and you have been listening to Unusual Histories, the Monopoly series. Thank you so much for your attention, and may your particular God bless you. Bless you.